case you didn't know, um, you know, pastors, we get tempted. And not tempted, I mean, we get tempted in the regular ways, but we get tempted in other ways too. Um, probably the most serious way that we get tempted, I think, as a pastor is, is when you start to understand, like we've been talking about what a healthy church is, and you start to understand that, that you know, what the Bible is telling us what, it need, what is to be a healthy church, and that it's this idea of being disciples, and it's disciples who, you know, God's Spirit is, is, is meeting the knowledge in our lives, and, and, and the temptation is this. The temptation is to try to come up with some program to make it happen. See, some pastors get tempted by just their own popularity, generating numbers, trying to, trying to you know, be looking towards when they can start another service and things like that. And, you know, we see that. But I think other pastors, and not just pastors, I think anybody who's involved in Christian leadership, you start to think, like, how do I make it happen? I see it. I know what should happen. I know God wants us to be a, a healthy church that's on the, the path to health. But how do I make it happen? And I think that's the temptation. And that's the problem. The problem is we're asking the question of how do I make it happen? And what I hope you know, because I think I've said it for as long as I've been here, I'm not going to make it happen. I can't give you a program. Oh, I could, I could generate a program and, and it would get some results that at least makes it look like it's happening. But I really can't tell if it's happening. No more than I could tell that when we were singing, if you were really worshiping. Oh, I could sing songs or we could choose songs that everybody will sing loudly, but singing loudly doesn't mean worship. It's just an external thing. Some of you might have worshipped more when Cheryl was singing this new song that you'd never heard before and you just were listening to it and reading the words. And the worship wasn't an external thing for you. It was just listening so sure, we can generate programs, we can make things that, that makes everything look right, but is it really happening? Is it really happening? Are we really becoming a healthy church? Are we becoming healthier every day? I think there's a lot of good things that, that, that go on in our church even now, and I think that's not just since I've been here, it's before I was here. But I think churches are, today are caught in this, this tension. And it's a good tension in a way. It's the tension in, in one sense of just being the church. Being the church. You know, developing relationships with each other, developing relationships with God, increasing our knowledge of God, being the church, living life together, being the church. So that's one, one thing that's hard enough to do on its own. But then there's this other side of being a church, and that is attracting people to the church. 
Because if we're just going to be the church, then the only new people that will be in our church are people that just accidentally find us, or if we just keep making babies and bringing them to church. And I know I could speak for my wife and I, it ain't happening in our family. I don't know about yours. You guys can go talk about it and decide whether to create little Wildlife Baptist church members. So sometimes it's be, you have this thing about being the church, but then you want to be able to, to attract people. You want people to come. And they're not simply going to come on a Sunday morning to a worship service. And really, is this what we want them to connect with primarily? Maybe 30 years ago, 40 years ago or so, and when this movement called seeker-sensitive movement started in, in church, churches trying to grow, trying to have a bigger impact, you know, they said Sunday morning shouldn't be about, be about the Christians. It shouldn't be the primary worship time of Christians. It's the time that, that we want to be able to bring people who've never who've never really heard the gospel and never really know what it means to be a Christian. So they changed the services, which is fine. If that's what they wanted to do, that was fine. But what, what's happened is two things. One is our culture has changed. Our culture has changed so much they, they no longer see Sunday morning as sacred as it used to be. We all know this. If you're, raised, if you're raising kids now, you raised them in the past 5, 10, 15 years, you know, you know how many times you like, you got to choose. We're going to go to church, we're going to go to a soccer game. We're going to go to church, I've got to get my kid to this you know, ballet recital. And there's this constant like, com- competition for time because you know the rest of the week has been already squeezed. You already are at school or at work all day and, and after school or after work, kids are being run to sports and they're being run to you know, lessons and all this other stuff and that's all squeezed and, and so now it's, it's Sunday morning too. So if we think that the way we're going to attract people to, to, to church is to get them to come on a Sunday morning, I think it's going to work for some but it's not going to work for everyone. As a matter of fact, increasingly it's not going to work, even for Christians. So, you know, that's one of the problems. The other problem is, if I'm creating a service and your point of contact with the church is largely based on what I think you like, I'm making... The, the attraction to the church, something that's problematic. If I make my worship service simply something you like, if I preach in such a way that it's so that I can get as many people who come to keep coming because I'm telling them what they want to hear rather than preaching to them the Word of God. If we keep changing the music because we want the music to either be you know, where our people are, and maybe we got people that like music from the 80s or the 70s or the 50s or the 17th century or from today. If we keep changing the music for that reason, rather than really just 
saying we will sing whatever music passionately because that's who we are. What we're doing is we're, we're attracting people who come here to our worship service based on what they like. It's never going to be a strong connection. Oh, we hope, we hope that if we can get that few to come on a Sunday morning, that somehow by just being around us, because we're such awesome people, they're going to want to keep coming back. That's the strategy of a lot of churches. We're so awesome, it's the whole problem is people just don't know how awesome we are. So if they'll just come in on a Sunday morning, we'll show them how awesome we are. And then they'll want to stay. And so we're caught. Do we be the church? Because if we're really the church, we're going to have sermons like last week where it says, if you follow Christ, you're going to be persecuted. What visitor who comes seeking you know, help, they, they want, they, they're, 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 they're caught in their lives, they're, they're struggling, and they come here and they, see, they hear that, oh, wait a minute. I thought, it was, I thought I was supposed to come here and get some happiness, some good news. So if we're just going to be the church, then we're going to invest in being a healthy church. Some people are just not going to want to be a part. They're not going to want to stay. Plus, we already have in our churches, and I'm not just talking about Wyla, I'm not thinking about anybody in particular here, but I'm just thinking about our churches in America who have largely been built on, and this goes back decades. This isn't from the seeker-sensitive movement. This goes back even into the 40s and 50s, largely based on what we like. Our church participation is not on what we give, it's based on what we get. And then all of a sudden, somebody starts talking about, starts talking about service and sacrifice and advancing the kingdom and saying that there's no real safe place. You cannot be there's no safe place to be a mediocre Christian to say like, okay, I got mine and I'm just going to kind of hang out here. You're going to lose those too. And then when you start saying, being a healthy church, the mark of a healthy church is not how smart we are. The mark of a healthy church is how in love we are with God and how in love we are with each other to the point that we will never let anything man-made divide us. That we will always work to reconcile our relationships. We will not sit there and hold grudges. We will not just, just say, I'm, I'm just going to not even talk to that person anymore. But we will always work to more positive and healthy relationships. Well, that's a problem. People are like, I don't, I'm not sure I want to do that. I liked church when we just, it was just Sunday morning and we saw each other once a week because that's about all I could tolerate of them. 
And now you're telling us to get closer. Here's what I'm committed to. I'm committed to a healthy church. I think we do need to attract people, but I don't necessarily think it's Sunday morning worship when we attract people. Here's where I want our people to get fed, and if visitors are coming, they get to see up front who we are, who we're trying to be. I think we can do a lot of other things to connect with our community, and I think we are. You know, we talked about last year, probably maybe, you know, we came into contact with maybe over a thousand people. And you might go, well, why aren't they here? Well, there's a reason for that. But one of the steps is that we make this contact. You see, we want people to, that, that, that stay, and we want people that, that come and connect with us. We want them to, to do it for the right reasons. And it's not because we're perfect. It's not because we're relevant. It's not because we're likable. But it's because they see a healthy community here. And healthy community, to me, just means this. That wherever we are today, we're moving towards being healthier tomorrow. You know, I thought about, uh, you know, putting up a, a, a picture, but I decided not to do it, um, but I was going to put up a picture of, of different people and asking you, do you know if that person's healthy? If you saw something, somebody who seems you know, very fit, are they healthy? If you saw somebody who's maybe put on a few pounds, a little bit you know, overweight, are they healthy? thing that I'm talking about is you cannot tell from a photograph. You cannot tell from just seeing somebody in one point in time if they're healthy or not. There's a lot of people who today look very unhealthy, but they're on the path to health. And there's a lot of people today who look very healthy, but they're on the path to unhealth. To me, it's, healthiness is, is not necessarily where we are right now, but it's, where are we going? What are we doing? A healthy church, for me, is not about where a church is at this moment. It's not about where it's been. But it is what it's becoming and where it's going. So what are we becoming and where are we going? And I hope you've gotten some clarity over the last you know, few months as we've been talking about this, as we've been looking at, at, the, at the Word of God and what God's Word teaches us about being a healthy church. It's why I keep printing on the back of, of the notes the, the characteristics of a Romans 12 church. I encourage you to keep reading Romans 12. Look at it again and again because that's the picture. That's where we want to go. And that's never been more important than now. Because we live in a culture that many people have given up on God. Even if they believe in a God or God of some sort, they've pretty much given up in terms of trying to live for God. Many have rejected him completely, don't believe that God exists at all. 
Some people think that if He does exist, He's really of no use to us. And so in this world where people have given up on God, you know, you can get angry. Why are they doing that? Or you can realize that God placed you in this world in part for them. Because the more that people give up on God, the more they need Him. The more they need Him. The more we should, we should care, the more passionate we should become. If, if you were like, you know, kind of sitting there in your front yard and you see your friend going, going by and you realize they're going down this road and at the end of the road there's no bridge. I mean, would you just sit on the front porch and go, oh, hey man, there's no, uh, no bridge at the end of the road. Maybe, maybe you would call them. But if you didn't get an answer, would you just go like, Oh, well, another one on off the cliff. I don't think so. If that was your friend, if even if it was a stranger, you would, you would try to stop them. You might even put up signs because apparently the other signs aren't working. You might even stand in the middle of the road and risk getting run over because you know if they go past you, they're going to get closer and closer to destruction. When, when we realize our culture is moving farther and farther away from God, we just, we just need to understand that, that if we're truly followers of Christ, it is time to stand up and be counted. It is time to say we need to make a difference. And it's not by 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 getting up on a soapbox, as they used to say, and shouting. But it is, by, it is by getting so serious about what it means to be a church. That, that, that our Christian communities are so alive and so vibrant that people cannot help but see the power of God. Oh, they might deny it. They might attribute it to something else. But they will see it. If people hung out with us for a month, a whole month, and most visitors won't give you a month, but if people hung out with you for a, for a, for a month, would they see supernatural, holy, loving community between brothers and sisters in Christ at Wildlife Baptist Church? I'm not saying that to be condemning. I'm saying that because I really want to know. What would they see? Would they see anything different from what they would see with just a bunch of other people that kind of hang out together? Would they see anything different from what they might see at the park or at the mall? People all at the same place because they have a common purpose, but there's nothing else that unites them. Oh, they see a friend from time to time and wave, you know, as they're coming out of the Apple store. But there's no supernatural unity. There's no abundance of God's love. That's the question. 
You see, they need to see God. They're not going to come to our worship services. They're not going to read the Bible. People need to see God in us. Not me, not you individually. In us. So here's Jesus. Teaching on how disciples live. There on the Sermon on the Mount, again, sitting on the ground, while most of the other people are probably standing up. And so we come to this passage, Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. He's just finished the Beatitudes, this big introduction, and now he's going to increasingly become more and more specific. And he says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, the temptation is to take everything that that we read in the Bible and and to individualize it. It's it's who we are. It's our culture. We've been taught that that me as an individual is, is the most important thing. And it's not necessarily that I'm selfish. It's just that It's just that I've been taught that that's my identity, that's who I am. My existence is primarily as an individual. And so when we read this, we immediately start to think like, oh, how am I salt? How am I light? But it's interesting. Interesting, because if you were to think that, if you were to think that, think like this. If someone says to you, pass the salt, Try this next time. Maybe you need tweezers, or maybe you can do it with chopsticks if you're really skilled, but just give them one grain. Think it's going to make a difference? That's not the image. The image, like we talked about before, is this image of the agricultural uses of salt used to help work the soil and even, even in the fertilizer. One grain is not going to make a difference. You know, make a difference, you need a lot. You certainly need more than one. And so we want to individualize this. And believe me, there is an individual understanding of it, but it's second. So what do we see here? Well, what, I, what we sometimes see in passages of Scripture is not what's explicitly stated, but it's really what is being talked about, the underlying principle. And the principle is simply this. Every disciple, and I will say every Christian, has a kingdom purpose. Every community of Christians, every church, has a kingdom purpose purpose. You were not just saved because God wanted to rescue you. 
You were not just saved so that someday you could live with Him forever. You were, you were saved with a purpose. And it is a kingdom purpose. If you understand what salt and light is talking about, you get a little glimpse of what those kingdom purposes are. Because the kingdom purpose will do, will do one, if not both, of these things. The kingdom purpose will help bring life. Or it will help reveal who God is. Kingdom purpose. Help bring life. Help reveal who God is. But let's not miss this other word, kingdom. It's the kingdom purpose. It's funny, we hear the word kingdom, but then again, we just want to individualize it. What is my kingdom purpose? No. Kingdom. The talk of the kingdom in the Bible means so much, but one of the things that it does, that that I sometimes think we miss that it means, is that it means that the kingdom is a group, it is a society, it is a community. If we're going to fulfill our kingdom purpose, we do it together. Together. It's so it's so hard um, to, to really do things, I think, the way God wants us to do things. Because there are other ways that seem to be more efficient. They seem to be more kind of even, you might even say, effective in some ways. And it is so hard to do things together. Because what it really means by doing things together is not simply like that everybody has a role and they all do their role, and if you do your role well, then somehow we get it done. No, together means together. It means that we're connected. The picture is, you know, perhaps like like tug of war. You know, if you've ever done tug of war before, you realize tug of war, you know, you could just treat tug of war as like, you know, you know, seven people over here, seven people are just pulling as hard as they can. But if you actually think about tug of war, there's actually a, a strategy. There's different roles for different people at different places, but they're all pulling together. There is someone saying, let's pull now. They're moving together. I've never been in like, in a, you know, a canoe like where they're racing. I've only been in like the Disneyland ones and almost got kicked out of Disneyland for it. Don't do this, but this has nothing to do with the sermon. But if you drag your paddle and don't actually row, if you just drag your paddle, it will make the canoe turn. And usually the Disney worker doesn't know you're doing it. And you can end up right, running right into the ground, the side of the, into the bank. But anyways, that has nothing to do with it. Canoe paddling. Does it just like, hey guys, go canoe paddling. Everybody just paddle as fast as you can. No. They do it together. Someone is communicating. They're in sync. They do it together. 
the, the, the canoe with the strongest people is not necessarily going to win. With the strongest individual paddlers is not necessarily going to win. We do it together. You know what doing it together means? It means sometimes we, we talk, we plan, we listen. That's what it means. Nobody just goes off on their own and does their own thing. We do it together. Too many times we celebrate as Christians the, the person who's more like, you know, the, the person who just goes off and they, you know, they go out and they evangelize all on their own. And you know what? That's great. I wish we all were evangelizing all on our own. We celebrate the missionary who goes into the area where nobody else is. We celebrate that. And you know what? It's great. We need missionaries to go to those places. But what we don't celebrate, what we don't emphasize, are the more common situations where we need to be together and work together, and dream together, plan together. And it's hard. But that's the kingdom. And so when we think about it from that perspective, we, we want to ask ourselves, you know, does this have a kingdom purpose? Is what we're doing, does it have a kingdom purpose? But also, are we doing it in a kingdom spirit? That we do it together as one body in Christ. Well, he uses two pictures here. The first picture is salt. Salt. And as we talked about before, that, that image of salt is much more the agricultural image. The image of using soil, I mean using salt on soil to help you know, bring certain minerals to it. To help bring life. And even in the Luke passage, Jesus talks about throwing it on the big pile of poop, the dunghill, because it does the same thing. It helps that waste just become something that it can help bring life. If you forgot that sermon or you want to hear it, it's, it was, you can go online to November 26th. But let me just tell you that when we as a church, simply live, if we simply live out the life of faith, the life of love, and be a true community, we are already bringing life to the greater community. Simply by doing that. Simply by doing that. People that come into contact with this church for whatever reasons, in different ways, we help bring life. And we do it partly because when, when you see like a healthy community, a healthy church that kind of gets this, um, all of those elements that help it be healthy, you know, besides the fact that, you know, this is the work of God and the Spirit, but but all of these elements that help this community be healthy, this, this, this care for one another, this 
trying to listen to one another, this working together, this, this idea of loving and, 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 and forgiving. It kind of, people who hang around long enough, it kind of splashes on them. But I think it does another thing like we talked about last week. It shows the world that there's another way to live. You got a bunch of people. They're not family. They're not, you know, part of the same business, same company. They come from all over. They're different ages. They're different ethnicities. They're different edu- you know, educational status, different interests. And yet they can come together and be united like a family. Better than a family. Shows the world there is another way to live. There is another way. When they see us, even in the community, meeting needs in the community together, and it's not simply that we do it, it's that we do it together and they see us doing it together, makes a difference. Salt. Do we help disciples help bring life to the world? But the image of light gives us another aspect of this. And it is that disciples reveal God to the world. Jesus is truly the light. We only are like the light in terms of being the one who gets to be used to project. We reveal God to the world. And of course, some people think like that means that we, we preach, and we do. Or that, you know, we, we, we teach, or we share our faith, or we, you know, share the gospel, and that all matters. That's all ways that we, that we do this, and we need to be doing this. But we also reveal God to the world in the same way that we can be salt in the world by displaying his love. Displaying his love right here. Displaying his love where imperfect people who aren't otherwise related, aren't otherwise connected, we are somehow connected. We are somehow connected in deeper ways than we are even with our own families. When people see the love evidence of who God is. It's a revelation of who God is. You see, what we need to understand is that when we, when we hide our light, we're not hiding ourselves. When we, as the passage says, when we put a, a bushel, a basket on the candle, we're not hiding our light. We're hiding the light of Jesus. We think it's my faith, my testimony. No, it's the light of Jesus. That's what we've, be, we've been tasked with shining into this world. And we cannot shine it into this world if our words don't meet our actions. If we constantly talk about loving God and, and loving one another and we don't show that we love one another. If I were to take a survey and have everybody's name on a survey, and it's like, okay, who do you love, who do you not love, and who you don't really know or don't really care that much about. 
I have a feeling we'd do pretty well checking off. Love, 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 love. But then if I did another survey, and in this survey I would say, in the last six months, all the people that you said you loved, what have you done to show, show them that in the last six months? I wonder what the results would be. I wonder what they would be for me. Because I would be one. I love everybody. But have I really shown that love? I might have my reasons, and they may be good reasons. But have I done it? If we're real disciples, the Bible tells us in 1 John that we're born of God, and we have God's love inside of us. It is our nature to love. We will love. The light cannot help but shine. And it will shine brighter when troubles come. Oh, it's easy to, to love certain people. We know it. They're easy to get along with. They're quick to forgive. You know, they're happy. They're helpful. Easy to love those. Without saying their name or looking at them, Think about the most difficult person in this room for you to love. Love that person. Well, here's my questions. We've been talking about this for a few months, and this is kind of like a moment for you to kind of think about this, because we've been talking about a disciple as someone who acquires knowledge, and the knowledge meets God's Spirit, and we become more like Christ. So, is that happening? Do you know more today than you knew yesterday? Are you more like Christ today than you were yesterday? Maybe yesterday is too soon. It's too small of a slice. How about last week? Are you more like Christ this week than you were last week? How about last year? Five years ago? If we're disciples, that's the journey we're on. We're, we're always becoming more and more like Christ. The journey stops when we think we've gone far enough. The journey stops when we think we've done enough. But as a true disciple of Christ, the journey never stops. It goes until our last breath. You know, I hope this doesn't happen for a long time, but if it did happen, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's 30 years, 40 years, still, I'm still planning to live to be 150, but Whatever my last day on earth is, you know what I would love someone to ask me? Not, how are you feeling? I'm obviously not feeling very well. Why not ask me, what has God taught you today? How are you more like Jesus now that you're right there before death? than you were yesterday. 
That's the journey. Let me give you people like lists. I'm going to give you a few lists. How to be salt and light. It's all stuff we've talked about. I'm just summarizing. First of all, we need to learn more about God. If you're a disciple, you're a student. You learn more about God. Second of all, when we know more about God, we share His heart. By sharing His heart, I don't mean that we tell other people about His heart. What I mean is when we know more about God, when we really know more about God, our heart becomes more like His heart. We see how He sees. And that's, that's number three. When we share His heart, we see with His eyes. We see ourselves with His eyes. We see each other with His eyes. We see the world around us with His eyes. And when we see with His eyes, we are moved to help how He would help. And when we do that, we show the world who God is. It's not complicated. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. We live what we know. What you're responsible for today is to live what you know about God. To live what you know about how He would want you to live. To live in a way that's worthy of your calling. Live what you know. But we also keep learning more. And as we learn more, the Spirit meets that knowledge, makes us more like Jesus. And we keep repeating those steps. I know more about God. I know more about Jesus. I live more like Him. I keep learning. Spirit helps me become more like Him. I live like Him. Repeat, repeat, repeat. I'm going to warn you, if you don't want to be a family or you don't want to be part of a family here at Wildlife Baptist Church that loves each other, that's always moving towards healthier and more loving relationships, that starts to see people more in terms of how we can help them rather than how they upset us or you know, we don't like them. If you don't want to be a family that brings healing to a hurting and broken world, broken world, don't do this. Don't do any of this. Don't get to know God more. Because that's where it leads. That's where it leads.